So, do you mind telling me why you're so familiar with biblical quotes? It's always a good idea to know what the other side is up to. Right. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. (laughs) You got one job. (laughs) An FK thing. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. A Forever Night podcast. It made sense. Matt got possessed for a minute there. Yeah, this is going to be a short one. Rachel's very preoccupied with Children of Dune, especially since Children of Dune has a character that gets possessed. This episode of Forever Night has a character that gets possessed. Good point. Good point. Yes, we are covering Children of Dune on Strange and Beautiful Book Club. And like two seconds... For just a PSA, if you didn't know, we have an Instagram. It's Strange and Beautiful Network. We also have a website, uh, strangeandbeautiful.club, if you need to find the links to anything. And we have a recommendation form on that. I haven't gotten anything in a while, so, like, somebody boogie over there and give us some recommendations. It takes us a while to get to them, especially if their books are long books, but they go in the queue. I do check them all. I write them all down. Uh, Please feel free to find us there. Also, we have a Patreon, and I've started putting up regular blog posts about my, like, sci-fi adventure. So I'm doing a year in sci-fi where I'm reading um, sort of almost chronologically in order, sort of chronologically in order, kind of whatever I get from the library. But um, chronologically in order from, like, classic sci-fi to pulp sci-fi to new age sci-fi to cyberpunk and on through that. So if you want to keep up with what I'm reading... And the blog post that I'm posting about that, you can find us on Patreon. It is free. Um, these posts are free. These posts are free. We do other things for Patreon that are not free. Mainly chat with people on the Discord. Um, but if there were more people, <clears throat> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I would definitely make more content for Patreon. So I just want to, we don't ever talk about it. We used to say it in every podcast, but now I'm like, and it was when we had like 40 followers on Instagram. I'd be like, we got 50 followers. And we're up to like 600 now. We're stuck at 600. I don't know. I don't I don't have any feelings about that. But I would love to, you know, we'd love to grow. Of course we would. Because building a community is part of what I wanted to do. And the more people that become part of the community, the more people can find each other, the more you can find your little weird nerd friends. Or I can find little weird nerd friends. However that works out. So that's I, the goal. That's the goal. So this episode is Forever Night, Season 3, Episode 11, Sons of Belial. <laughs> I couldn't say it. I was trying. Hang on, hang on. Sons of Belial. 
I am the son of Can Belial. you do it? Can you do like a growl voice, like a, a low, like real low voice? Like real low. Yeah, can you do that? Say son of Belial. Dig deep, real deep. I am the son of Belial. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I like to think that uh, Gare did all of his voice acting for this and they didn't use any kind of voice modulation. <laughs> he literally was just like, okay, no, I can do a demon voice. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I can motorboat that lady's tits. You want me to do that? Not a problem. Like, I am here for you. Whatever you need, I am here for you. <laughs> this was the Gare improv episode. <laughs> and everybody else just had to improv along with they, him. They unleashed him on that woman is what they did. They were like, we need you to act like you are a man possessed. And he was like, I got you, fam. Gare, do your thing. Do your, They didn't even, not, no instructions, nothing. They were just like, woman, are you okay with this? And she looked at Gare and was like, I am perfectly okay with this. And then they just went at it. Uh, we're not there. We're not there. Hang on. I got to compose. <laughs> <laughs> this episode. You know what? I don't watch this episode very often for several reasons. I think we've mentioned I grew up extremely religious, and so this episode was really unsettling when I first watched it. And now the secondhand embarrassment of the end when he's on the table and he's like writhing around and they're doing the like camera right in front of his face. But it's that weird like 0.51, you know, like a like a fish lens almost mm -hmm. right on his face. And it's just like, I can't. Yeah, that that scene was rough. But we open on like a street busker performance. These people are out. Is it even that? It feels like bigger than that because they're playing drums and then the guy's like climbing up the pole and playing on the cross. Oh, yeah. This is a whole band. This is like a thing. This feels like live music at like as an event on yeah. the street. Flash or mob. Was it the flash mob? Live mobs? music for like a restaurant or something. Yeah. Because there's like six or eight people. It's a whole ass drum set. There's a guy yeah. with drumsticks just drumming on everything. There's glitter on the drum head. There's a lot going on. And in the meantime, oh, there's a police officer walking by, kind of like on a beat. And he sees a woman asleep slash maybe dead in her car. Parked and in an alley. Parked in an alley, of course. So he walks Suspiciously. over. And he's like, uh, ma'am, UK. And he checks on her. And then she wakes up. And starts screaming at him in another language, which, of course, is Latin, because Latin is the official language of hell. And she's driving a Dodge Aries. He mentions that. He's like, it's a Dodge Aries. And I was like, well, I don't even recognize that symbol, because it's like a pentagon. Did that used to be the Dodge symbol? Is that still the Dodge symbol? All I know is Dodge no. Ram, like the Ram trucks, because <laughs> we live in the South, and everybody drives trucks. In fact, we own a truck. <laughs> A big ass truck. A big ass truck, uh, which I offset by also owning a Prius. <laughs> so it's perfectly fine. We, we balance out to an SUV. We do. We do. We balance out to an SUV. Yeah, we we roughly equal the um, emissions of an SUV. And she ends up waking up and driving over this officer, like hitting him. He goes up on the hood. And then when she turns, he flies off and he's like, no. But of course, he's already called for backup, so... It's okay. Somebody comes to yeah, help. Yeah, and him. with the license plate of the car. So she's yeah. not going to escape this. Or will she? Or will she? Because she's driving off and she's like sobbing. Screaming. And the drums are playing in the background. I thought she was screaming, I hate that woman. 
Could be. But I don't know if that was I think she's supposed to be screaming in Latin, but you know what? If you heard different things, that really fits with the aesthetic of this episode, so it's perfectly fine. Maybe I was just more sensitive to the demonic energies. Yeah. Like Gare. Like Gare. Because, because I'm internally. Are you internally sorry. conflicted? <laughs> conflicted. Do, do you have a chink in which the devil can wend his way in because you aren't sure of who you are? Well, all of us contain God and the devil. Well, we learned that in this episode. Like a hundred times. Like a bunch. Like I'm pretty sure that's legit. Like I, they took that from somewhere. Like I've that's become part of me now. The scriptwriter really, really liked that metaphor. I like the flashback. <laughs> In this episode, <laughs> I always like the ones where I like the flashback, but the main story is just like, what the fuck is happening? It's kind of how I feel here. And there's definitely moments that I like in this episode. It's really just that end piece where he's on the table, where if you have any amount of secondhand embarrassment, you're like, he had to do that in front of like all of the other actors, all of the set people, the camera, everybody. He had to be like, which I suppose you sign up for when you're an actor. You're going to do ridiculous things in front of people. And uh, honestly, he was probably more embarrassed doing that than he was like face attacking that woman in the in the, in the raven. raven. Yeah. yeah. Well. Oh, I don't think we saw beefcake, beefcake booty shorts. We weren't there long enough. Yeah. Yeah. You are correct, sir. There is no beefcake booty short in the raven this time. In fact, we just paused the episode. And checked. Because that's what we do. This is the level of dedication we bring to this podcast. Okay? And I think that our fans expect it. So we can't deliver any less. I can't say he's not in this. And then someone comments is like, yeah, he is. And sends me a screenshot. That would be embarrassing. That's just embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So the cool part about this opening, I think, is that we're using the drumming and her driving, like the drumming is amping up. The guy's climbing yes. up the pole. He's banging on more stuff. The it's live getting more music frantic. is like an analog for her emotional state. Yeah, because it's ramping up higher and higher and higher. And finally, she drives through some construction, ends up driving off this bridge, taking a header into the road below. The car explodes. And there's a big drum crash. Well, there's vague. Right at the explosion. And then there's vague Gregorian chanting. Like, I've sung in like the last four episodes we do. I feel like it maybe need to be a thing now or not. Weigh in. (laughs) Do you like me singing these or not? Actually, I don't care about doing what I want anyway. So then we go to the intro. We go to the intro. That's it. That's the opening. Yeah. And then uh, we come back to Reese looking confused, which feels in character. It just Totally in character. Yeah. Um, I feel like Reese doesn't get why bad guys do what they do is in every single episode thing. That's his driving motivation for his entire career as a police officer yeah. is to so, just be just, dumbfounded at why why people would do illegal things. Maybe it's his metric. Maybe he thinks if I ever understand it, that's the day I quit. Mm, so he's just always testing the waters. Yeah. I, I had a realization during this episode that Tracy is always – putting out little feelers to see how safe is this environment to speculate about supernatural things. Mm. And that's pretty consistent. She's always trying to figure out how much she can talk about what she knows. Right. Because she and Nick haven't known each other that long. 
Right. Nick will always just boom. I know something about that in this like supernatural Nick moves context. Through the world like a mediocre white man. <laughs> there is no situation where he feels uncomfortable, where he feels like he can't be himself. He never feels the need to people please. He just slides through the water like a mediocre white man does. But a woman is always testing what sh who she can be in any situation. Right. How much can I talk about the things that interest me? And how much will that make you think I'm weird? And then all of a sudden I'm in this odd little category where you're like, you won't talk to me and I can't get that back. So, I mean, I get it. I get where I do the same thing. I am a relatively odd person. I wouldn't say I'm odd. I'm just me, I guess. And like, I went to the craft store the other day and I had on my Morticia Adams and Gomez Adams t-shirt. And then I had on like a, um, I had a sweater on that had skulls on it. And then I have quite short hair and I dyed it red. And without really intending to, just having grabbed a few things and throwing them on to go to the craft store, I looked um, fairly edgy, one would say. And I struggled to get served in the craft store. Mm. And it's not like, it, it's just that a woman is always having to be aware of what signal she's well, sending. I, I have to do that a little bit too because of my niche interests. I didn't say with, you were well, a mediocre uh, white man. No, uh, but well, for example, I went to go get the oil changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the truck the other day, mm -hmm. and I know where I live, so I put on my good old boy outfit. Yeah. Which is like blue jeans that are slightly dirty and worn in, and a just bland hoodie and my leather boots and a baseball cap. Yeah. And I walked in and it was full of good old boys. <laughs> and <laughs> I did a little bit too good of a job, mm. like passing the vibe checks. Gotcha. And so I think in the future, I need to tone it down like – Either, uh, I think, like posture wise, or yeah. the way I'm phrasing things when I'm greeting. I, yeah. I, I think I need to tone down, down my greetings a little bit because I don't want to get people's attention too much. Right. But yeah, I put on this persona. I think what the takeaway here is everyone is always a little bit aware of yeah. what they're presenting. And Tracy just learned something really Except big. For Nick. Except for <laughs> Nick Nick well, has a Nick has a very severe threshold of are my eyes glowing and are my fangs out? Yeah. And if those two questions are no, he's doing great. Well, I mean, one might argue that Nicholas Knight is in itself a persona. Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah. But it's it's Nicholas de Bourbon, the vampire without his glowy eyes or fangs. Well, he's cosplaying as Nick Knight <laughs> at all times, right? That's why he's like, vests? Hell yeah, vests. And then vests didn't seem to be doing it anymore, so now he's moved on to, like, black button-up shirts and sometimes jeans, which we all thank you for this decision, honestly. But, I mean, one could argue that the reason he 
moves through the world in the way he does might be because he is incredibly fluent in who he needs to be in every situation. Yeah. So he may not need that. It may be instantaneous. He can take the measure of the room and figure out who he needs but to be. But then we'll have a situation like this episode where Natalie will say, oh, there was lamb's blood. I don't, I'm not sure how she identified lamb's blood versus <laughs> other generic mammal blood. Maybe Nick told her. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's lamb. But Nick was like, oh, yeah, lamb's blood. Yeah, they use that in exorcisms. <laughs> Back in like, the Middle Ages? He's got approximate knowledge of a lot of things, okay? <laughs> that That is part of cosplaying as Nick Knight. So it's fine. He can do that. Well, uh, I feel like that's a little bit him, like, failing in the... Failing to maintain his cover. Well, Tracy calls him on it. Tracy calls him on it almost immediately. She goes, how come you know so much about this stuff? And he right. goes, I always like to keep up with what the other side is up to. <laughs> I feel like Tracy calls him out on it like Skanky never did. And so with Skanky, Skanky was always just like, oh, yeah, you must be one of those nerds mm -mm. who this just is, know random things. This is where our fan canon really, really works. Okay. The fact that we believe that Skanky oh, yes. knew what he yeah, was. Skanky was aware. And so Skanky was fully aware of what he was, and that's why he didn't ask. That's why that fan canon works. Yeah. It's fan canon. I know it is. I know it's not real canon that we don't have any way of knowing whether or not Skanky actually knew or not. But it makes the Skanky character better if he knew and he was just like, I'm hands off on this. Right. It doesn't change anything, but it makes the perception better. Yeah. And so he was deliberately ignorant. He deliberately did not ask clarifying questions because he didn't want to know the answer. Or like LaCroix says in this one, of course you don't ask because then you might get an answer. Right. Once the question is asked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've derailed, but we're back. Reese remains confused is what I put in my uh, notes. I think us getting derailed is on track. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's on brand. On brand. Yes. So Nick and Tracy are apparently already on a case, and they just show up, and Reese is like, what about that other case? Because they were the uh, ones available. Yeah, well, Nick I is guess. like, well, we're waiting on stuff for that, and we kind of thought maybe there was something more to this, so we decided we'd show up and take a look at it, and Reese is like, ma, you make a compelling argument. And they point out that there was a car that drove away, and they're because they're here looking at the injured officer. And they identified the car and it they found it because it got blowed up. <laughs> and it contained a woman, or the remains of a woman, named Melanie Sawchuck. And Reese is like, cool, what, what the fuck's up that, with that? And Nick is like, well, we got to wait for an autopsy. So we figured we'd just, you know, come by and see what's going on. And so they're trying to talk about, I think the guy's name is like, it's like La something or Mick. It, I don't know. The officer's name is something really strange. Oh, the officer there that, that yeah. got run over. Yeah. And okay. so Reese is like, oh, I don't know. He's not talking. We can't. I don't, well, I oh, don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. Good luck. You're not going to get much out of him. Yeah. And Nick's like, well, let me take a crack at it. And so he walks over and she's like, bubble, bubble. <laughs> what did you see? And he's like, a woman in a car. And well, he goes, oh, she has a pulse. And he's like, oh, okay, the woman in the car. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. And he ends up getting from him. That this lady 
um, yelled something at him. And he's like, okay, well, what did she yell at you? And he says it. And it's like, imite hoc malignum or something. And it's like, something woman? I th- I tried to figure it out, but Google was like, the fuck? <laughs> did you try to figure out? But it's something about a woman and then like something about bad. So it could be I hate this woman. Yeah, she like could have thought. started out saying it in Latin and then transitioned to English. Yeah, in very, the car. I mean, very well could have been. And Nick is like, mm, okay. So he sits up and Tracy's like, well, what was that? And Nick was like, no, oh, sounded like Latin, but who knows? Nick knows. Uh, Nick knows exactly Nick knows what it means. Yeah, yeah, he does. And Reese says, you know what? You guys are here. This feels convenient. I don't want you to just run out the clock. I'm a civic-minded dude. Um, why don't you work on this until there's some movement on your current case? The taxpayers need to get their money's worth out of you. Yeah. So why don't you just run with this? See what happens. I mean, of course, it's an apparent suicide, but you can't just rule it a suicide. We need to figure out what it might be. And so we go to the morgue. And I want to point out that for a show that literally nobody ever wrote down the canon on anything... Natalie always hates burn victims. We couldn't be consistent about fuck all with Nick, but Natalie, goddammit, always hates burn victims. She's like, ugh. I put burn this victims. completely on Kathy. Yeah, I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. Catherine was probably like, doesn't Natalie hate burn victims? Should I say something about it? This has happened like twice already. This yeah. will be the third time. Yeah. What? Please. Why are we talking about this casually? Natalie's traumatized. Yeah. This is triggering for Natalie her. Natalie fucking hates burn victims. Didn't you hear her heartfelt story to Cohen about that summer trip that she went on where those people got trapped in a car and they got burned? Didn't you hear that? <laughs> I hate burn victims. And she, they come in and she's like, oh, burn victims. My worst nightmare. And then she's like, here, wintergreen gel for the smell to like put under your nose. And Nick goes, oh, how are you doing? And Natalie says... I've gone through two jars already. And this woman is still in the body bag, so shit. <laughs> She's crazy. And Natalie is like, nah, I haven't really done her autopsy yet. She just got here. She's crispy crittered. I'm about to open her up and do the internal. I'm guessing you guys don't want to be here for that. And Nick and Tracy are both like, that's a negative, Captain. We do not want to be here for that. And she's like, okay, but I got some notes from, like, whatever, the people that send me notes. And they said that um, she has a next of kin, a brother, and you can go find him. Here you go. Here's the clipboard. And they go find this guy, which he's not at his house, and he's not at a place of business. He's picketing a sex club. Whatever path they took to find him. Yeah. It's a deleted scene. Meh, it's fine. Because what did they do? Go home and he had a post-it note on his door that was like, tonight's my night to picket the sex club. If you want to find me, that's where I'll be. Or they went where they went there and his roommate was there. It's like, oh, yeah. It, it's three Thursday, nights, yeah. Three nights a week, he's at the sex club. That's what the sign says. And this is actually an actor from Dark Knight, which I was like, oh, it's Dr. Dave. And Matt goes... I have no knowledge of what you're talking I said, about. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Um, he's one of the people experiencing homelessness from Dark Knight. He's like the doctor, the one that they meet yeah, outside Yeah, he was the, the one that was kind of enthusiastic about uh, plasma donations. Yeah, 
Give a little, get a little. It's our way of giving back to society. That's this guy. Yeah. And he's handing out pamphlets outside a sex show, sex shop, intimate Sex shop. club. Sex club. That's what okay. the sign says. All right. Well, they come up and talk to him. They're like, hey, we're police officers. And he's like, I'm allowed to be here. I'm not harassing anybody. Because he's not stopping anybody. He's just handing out pamphlets. And he ends up quoting scripture at them. I'm not interfering with any of the patrons of this establishment, sir. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For the Lord saith, there is no peace unto the wicked. And it ends with, um, there's no peace unto the wicked. And Nick's This just feels like, completely normal to me. You feel like that? Yeah. This I mean, kind of feels like living in, in it. <laughs> we live in the, <laughs> we've lived in the Bible Belt for too long. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. There's a There was a local restaurant. This is a side. I don't know. There was a local restaurant that had a, um, well, the only words I can think of are strip club, and that is not even remotely what it is. Drag show. There's a restaurant in our town that had a drag show and it got picketed and the lady was like, you know what? The owner of the restaurant was like, who was very civically minded and did a lot of stuff in the town was basically like, fuck y'all sold her restaurant and left. Wow. She realized that this wasn't the kind of place where she wanted to be. Yeah. I respect that. So they tell him, they're like, you know, your sister, um, she dead. And he's like, Oh, cool. Unperturbed. It's like, you, you did have a sister, right? You are the correct Dr. Davis. Not his name is Davis. <laughs> um, you are the correct man, right? And he's like, oh, no, yeah, no, I had a sister. That's, I mean, I'm just really, uh, okay. And they're like, was she suicidal? And he goes, as there is God within us all, so there is the devil. That's number one. That's the first time we mentioned that. We should have had a counter. We should have had a counter. And uh, he says, she was a woman of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And Nick knows the verse for that, and he stops and goes, paraphrased. Like, he says the chapter verse, right. and Here, then he just Here's goes, another time where Nick is, like, ancient Nick is leaking out through cop Nick. Yeah. And nobody... Well, he can, you know, when he was with Skanky, he was accustomed to being just that little bit himself because Skanky never asked. And now that he's with Tracy, he can be just that little bit himself because it sort of is like a a joke. Is she going to get it or is she not going to get it? Yeah. Because she has all the tools. Is she going to put all the pieces together or not? So it has to be kind of like... He could have gone one way or the other. He could have really doubled down and tried to never say anything that could be misconstrued. Or he could do whatever the fuck he wants and just see what happens. And I think he fell on the, I'm going to do what I want and see what happens. Right. And I think the the thing that's working against Tracy in figuring out, figuring it out is she trusts Vashon too much. And Vashon has told her that Nick is not a vampire. I don't think he ever explicitly said he's not well, a vampire. Well, I don't think he ever explicitly, but they both played along that Vashon is a vampire. Nick is not. Yeah, they did the and hypnotizing thing. Nick does not thing. know about vampires. Yeah. And, and so Tracy is like, oh, like the whole line of thought. Huh. Nick just said something weird. 
what else could be weird about Nick? Let me assemble the facts. Well, Nick's Isn't just weird. All of <laughs> all of that, like recognizing, uh, like here's all these flags. Yeah. There's something weird about Nick. Anytime she starts going down that line of thought, it's immediately short-circuited by, oh, but Vashon hypnotized him. He can't be a he vampire. He can't be a vampire. Yeah, because she says, that episode, she says, Nick has no memory of what happened. Like, he doesn't even, he doesn't know anything about it. And Vashon's like, oh, is that what he told you? And then later when she's like, oh, Nick never believes me. He's such a yes. skeptic. Vashon does and Vashon goes, phrase oh, everything very carefully. Yeah. He never confirms or denies, um, which I think is a good step for the that character and mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah. Because he he's never like, oh, no, Nick's not a vampire. The one thing that he does is pretend to hypnotize him. And I guess maybe that was enough for Tracy. So- we go back to the morgue because he ends up blowing them off. He's like, yeah, yeah, sister, very sad. I'm, I've am i got my sex pamphlets to hand out. Oh, Can on you a side note, off? this is another episode with no Vashon. Oh, yeah. Dang. You got hot boy vampire who rode in on a motorcycle and we're not even using him. Maybe he was off doing other stuff. Speaking stay. of the motorcycle, the motorcycle's wig, back. The wig was at the dry cleaners. <laughs> in Nick's apartment. The motorcycle. We're not there yet. Oh, so I we gotta just... gotta go and order. It's our shtick. So they go back to the morgue. It's your shtick. I <laughs> I pull us off the you the do linear path. You do. You're kind of like um, in a video game. You know the minecart level in the video game when you're in the minecart, and every once in a while you're going a, around a curve, and you have to like lean the controller to keep you from flying off the curve. I'm the controller trying to keep us on, and you're the the uh, rocks falling down trying to knock the mine cart off the track. I like how you yeah. just nodded in agreement. You were like, that's an, a completely appropriate metaphor. Oh, I, I, I was thinking nothing. of a much more obscure metaphor, but. Oh, no, please go. enlighten us. <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's. Well, what is it? What is it? Okay. So. Yep. In cognitive science, most of the functions of the brain boil down to like opponent processing of two different parts of the brain kind of competing which one has a like better summary of the relevant facts that are useful for like deciding what to do Um, and the reason you do that is so that you can actually have like a competition and i'm being recorded i can't (laughs) (laughs) i can't gesticulate to move the brain. I was and stuff. trying to capture how much you move your hands to explain why there are certain mic hits I just can't edit out. But no, please continue. Okay. Opponent processing. It, it in gives the brain. you more relevant, accurate functionality. Okay. In things. And so there's, uh, there's a thing that human brains do, and there's a thing that they've started that. I guess they do in training AI models when you have this stuff compressing the information down to like useful trends, you can overly fit to the data. If you have a bunch of data points and you like find a linear regression where you find a curve that fits most of the data, you can find a a random curve that hits every single data point, but that's not accurate to the trend. And so to fix, to make the 
the model more accurate to the trend rather than overfitting to the data, you throw random noise okay. into the training data. So your noise in the training and data. And so w- okay. when you're – this happens just in the way brains work. This happens – when you're training AI models now because they found it's a useful like cognitive mechanism that actual brains use, they just throw random data into the training set because the whole process that optimizes for the like best model based on the data gets a better outcome if you just throw in random noise that's irrelevant. Gotcha. I thought it was going to be a sci-fi fantasy reference, but cognitive science is perfectly fine too. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay. So we go so back. That's my role here. Okay. Is I'm, you're co- I'm you're the random noise. noise training the model. Got you. It, it makes the model more resilient. Oh, it does. I would agree because I have to be like, it what were we talking about? It forces you to clarify. About? Yeah, because usually your stuff is just totally off the wall and I have to figure out how that related. <laughs> and then we have to throw some context back in and it. Keeps the viewer on track you know when what? we get back to the next point. If we just talked through the synopsis, what's the point Boring. Of that? Boring. No, 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 no. No. That is not why we are here. The synopsis is a framework on which we build our episode. It is not the episode. So we go back to the morgue, speaking of. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie's like, she had traces of lamb's blood in her system. This is when she holds up the little she vial. She has like a half a vial of blood, like half a little test I've tube. watched Dr. G, medical examiner. They remove stomach contents with an actual fucking soup ladle. There's no way she had just isolated lamb's blood that she Well, she said there identify. was traces of lamb's blood in her stomach. Yeah. And no traces of anything else. Oh. Which means she had been fasting for like 12 hours beforehand. Well, there's still bile. Well, there's still bile, yes. But I don't know. I don't know why she knew it was lamb's blood. I know nothing. I have nothing. Okay. No context. (laughs) She sniffed it and she was like, it doesn't smell like cow. I know you can do blood blood. type tests. Yeah, but not immediately. different, Different animals have different blood types. Yeah, I mean, she would know so. if you sent it out. She didn't, what, like, look at this no, underneath like you, the microphone? You can do, like, do it in, like, 10 test tubes, <laughs> and you just put a little reagent in each different one that reacts to a specific blood type. But why would she have that in the morgue? Is it cow? Is it rat? Is it cat? Is it dog? Is it lamb? Is it... Why? Because Natalie's a you know boss. What? She's a fucking boss. That's how she knew, and that's it. That's good. You know what? I'm just going to leave it right there. And she says she drank it. It was in her stomach. And She goes, but I can't figure out why. Like, she's not standing right next to a vampire. Why would you ever drink blood? And Nick is like, I know why. And he goes into a flashback. Wham! He, like, leans on the table. Is the body still on the table? Does he lean on this woman's charred? legs and like leans forward and it's nick and lacroix and surprise motherfuckers they were at the inquisition (laughs) i feel like only one of the guys in here actually had a good like spain spanish accent um the one guy that comes in does one of the priests that comes because he says barcelona barcelona he sounds spain spanish everybody else sounds like not but there's a couple (laughs) i mean it's not like there's one other guy the one of the like pre one of the inquisitors yeah 
he has a good Spanish like enunciation, but it sounds I don't know, like very academic I, uh, like Spanish. Nick's, and then Nick's everybody else is like I took Spanish in high school for two <laughs> Nick years. Nick speaks Spanish one time. He gets like three words. And this feels intentional because it's not great. <laughs> um, it's not like Spain has one accent. They have northern and so- just like we have northern accents and southern accents. and Like Dr. Regional. Who says, every planet has a north. Every planet has a north. And you can't like across the board be like, they don't sound like they're from Spain because northern Spanish accents sound way right catalonian yeah not catalonian catalonia is its own separate thing barcelona catalonia catalan is actually its own separate language okay and every once in a while they're like texas but like they keep trying to cool texas they'll be like can we be our own country and spain's like fucking no (laughs) (laughs) no you you fucking no you bring too much money you have gaudi you can't secede so Gaudi. Gaudi is a famous architect, and he oh, lived in okay. Barcelona, and he built a bunch of stuff. And everybody that goes to Spain to see architecture, you go to see Gaudi. Okay. And so, and he's in Barcelona. Um. So they, you can't leave. That's what tourists are here for. No one would visit Spain without you. There's Seville and Madrid, and it doesn't matter. So, it, uh, just, I'm sure we have one listener who has weighed in on Spanish before, and that's Maria, and she, um. She commented when we talked about the Spanish in the episode uh, Black Buddha, when Mm -hmm. the Inca shows up and he's (coughs) yelling at Tracy in Spanish, even though we know he speaks English. And she said that it wasn't great in that either. So I have to imagine it ain't great. Although a couple of people actually sound like they might actually speak Spanish, like as a language. Um, But there's only one person who has a recognizable Spanish accent, the stereotypical one where they sound like they have a lisp. They don't have yeah. a lisp, but it sounds like you have a lisp. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Because the important part here is that Nick and LaCroix got captured by the Inquisition. They got picked up while they were sleeping, apparently. Uh, like LaCroix day. sleeps. Well, it's day. It's day. And in the first season... They're actually semi-comatose during the day. Mm. Not that, I mean, that didn't mean anything, but. And they're painting the door in lamb's blood, which both Nick and LaCroix are like, oh, oh. And it's like, they're supposed to be repelled by it, but maybe it just smells bad. Like, nobody likes his cow's blood either. Right. So I was thinking, like, oh, lamb's blood, like, they can drink, uh, like, mammal blood. Like, no, they've never said anything about, like, specific blood they can't drink. Yeah. As long as it's, like, red mammal blood. Yeah. And I I think you're onto something there. Maybe, like, of all the different mammal bloods that you can drink, maybe cow is, like, ah, like, ha- either has almost no flavor or just has a weird, yeah. like, musk like to it. like soy blood. <laughs> it's fine. Like it's, it's not good. It's just, eh, bleh. Meh. Like, it's abundant. It's available, and it ain't shit. Right. So. But then lamb's blood probably mm-hmm. just stinks, and so yeah. they stay away from it. Yeah, like garlic. Why would you stay away from garlic? Well, because it, it smells, smells bad. really bad. Yeah. And well, it smells strongly. Well, they get pushed in here, and they like tss, like walk around the sunlight. 
And then one of their cellmates is like, oh, how'd you guys get here? And they're like, oh, they took us while we're sleeping. They said we're in league with the devil. And their cellmate is like, oh, are you? Are you, though? Like, are you in league with the devil? And LaCroix's like, well. There is no devil. Semantics. <laughs> Actually, LaCroix says God and the devil are human inventions so that you can slaughter people without accountability. Al mundo del mal. This god and this devil are a mere human contrivance and convenience. They offer the justification for slaughter without the tricky business of accountability. And then you can ask for forgiveness when you're done. That's the whole point. And so the guy goes, oh, are you guys like non-believers? And Nick says, if there is a god, he has yet to show himself to me. And Lacroix's like, <laughs> just chuckles at Nick and Nick's over like fucking shut up. LaCroix is suspiciously unconcerned about this whole thing. He, the, yes. All the way up until the very end. LaCroix is like we're going to get out of this. I have survived worse than this. We're fucking vampires. I survived a fucking volcano. Okay. I can survive the Inquisition. We're going to get out. It's going to be fine. We get to kill people. It's a win-win. I don't know. What... I got woken up. I got brought to a buffet. And now I just have to wait till the buffet opens, which is, uh, checks watch, sunset. And this is when the guy is like, well, there might be evil within you, but there is God also, which is ding, ding, twice. <laughs> it's twice. <laughs> So then we come back because Tracy is like, Nick, uh, Nick, are you in there? I am now. He comes back. Just disassociated for a second. It's fine. And he's like, you know, I was just thinking, I think we need to go find out more about Melanie Sawchuck. And Tracy goes, uh, why? why? Come on, Tracy. Keep up. There's, she died. They're standing over her charred remains, and she's like, why would we investigate this one? Why would we need to find out more about her, Nick? Explain it to me. Like, I'm five. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because we're investigating her, Tracy? It's literally your job, Tracy. Come yeah. on. So they go to her apartment, and Nick, I think he makes like a Bible reference, a quote. No, he's... He, I, I, I think the... The implication was supposed to be Tracy was suspicious about how interested Nick is in pursuing this investigation. Well, yeah. And he knew the thing about the lamb's blood. He was like, oh, you know, that used to be used in ancient exorcism rituals. And that's when Tracy's like, why do you know so much about this stuff? And he says, uh, it's always good to know what the other side is up to. <laughs> <laughs> but when Tracy is like, why? It just comes off like. <laughs> but why though? Why? Huh? Like, why are we even here? Well, it could be more of a why. Like, I know we're going to investigate Melanie Sawchuck. I know we're going to do it because she got murdered. But like, why like, is that your highest priority? Why for you are yes. we investigating I think that's Melanie Sawchuck? What, I think that's what the writers probably had in mind. Yeah. But the way it just plays is why yeah <laughs> but i really think it's more like what does this mean to you like this is a thing we're doing to pass the time while we're waiting for other paperwork to come in so why are you all of a sudden like let's go all in <laughs> i saw an instagram reel uh and it was an interview with the guy who is the english voice actor for goku 
in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, you sent that to me. And so <laughs> he said they, like, he took the job. He was in the office for a little while. Like, see, sees the picture of Goku. Goku's the main character of the entire show. Uh, but his boss, who liked to, like, tease him about stuff, his boss didn't, like, tell him. And so Goku's like a himbo. Like he's, yeah. he's this buff, like strong guy. But just a nice but guy. But he's completely oblivious about like anything practical. He's got nothing. Yeah. And so he said it was like two weeks in and he was just, he said he was struggling to just really wrap his head around this character. And one day his boss comes in, leans his head in the room and says, you know, you're the main character of this entire show. And he said he responded with like, oh, wow, really? Wow, that's cool. And he said that's when the character in his, clicked in his mind. Like he said it was life imitating art. Well, he got – he Goku'd <laughs> out is what he said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I feel that that's the vibe Tracy is giving off. Yeah. I don't know like, that she's like – I think – you know what's no, happening here? I think here? it was just this this particular conversation. Well, we had that long discussion at the beginning of this episode how sometimes the way you present yourself is a signal. Mm-hmm. And she's a attractive, thin, blonde woman. It's really hard for her to say something that gets taken seriously. Yeah. Especially in the 90s in this context. And she's supposed to be way younger than everybody else. It's like having a teenager tag along with you. And they're like, but why though? And no matter how yeah. they ask that, it's never going to sound deep. Even if they're like, but why? You're going to be like, come on, honey. Do you not? Did you not pick it up? We're investigating a murder. And what she's really asking, I think, is like, why, why for you? Why are you so into this? Why for you? Yeah. Why for you? Yeah. Because as soon as we, as soon as he makes the announcement about lamb's blood, how it's used in exorcisms, they go to her house and there's a broken window and Tracy's like, there's blood on this window. And Nick him, Nick is unconcerned. He does not check the window. He's like, oh, cool. She's like, maybe somebody jumped out and he was like, ah, it's broken glass. You cut yourself. Why is the fucking window broken? <laughs> <laughs> We never go back to that. We don't go back to that at unless, all. We're like, unless it was just her going insane. It was her first uh, attempt on her life that night. I don't know. Like nobody, they they're just like, oh, okay, cool. They don't take samples. They don't take evidence. They're not wearing gloves. They just walk into this woman's house and they're like, oh, the window's broken and there's glass on it. Oh, I hope she didn't cut herself when she broke it. That's really sad. Maybe that's what's, oh. Well, what? And then Tracy's like, "Ooh, it's really cold in here." You know, the fucking windows open. Like what, she, she shivers when she tucks, touches this book. Yeah, and then with they, her bare fingers. And then they flip the book over, and it's just like exorcism. <laughs> Dummy's guide to exorcism. <laughs> it's literally like, so you want to be an exorcist? Exorcism for dummies: a historical perspective. <laughs> Lamb's blood. <laughs> Oh, it's written by ex-Reverend Vanderwall. Is it? Oh, no, I'm just throwing oh. that bullshit out there. Oh, it could be. I don't know. I didn't even look. 
I wonder if it's a real book. Like I if somebody was just it. at like a used bookstore down the road. No. And they're like, oh, no. we're doing this possession it, episode. You know what would have been fucking hysterical if they flipped it over and it was the denied? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been a really nice callback. It would have been a good cut. But alas, it's just like exorcism. And he's like, oh, guys, I think this book's about exorcism. <laughs> and then they go back to the precinct and... Reese is like, are you guys fucking serious about this? Are you telling me you think this woman might have been possessed? And Tracy's like, I don't know, Captain. It was really cold. (laughs) (laughs) So so Reese is like, "Uh, well, you said the window was broken, right? And it's October. Remember, it's October. We're in Canada. We're in Canada. Do you not see the picture? Canada. Do you not? (laughs) That's for you, Meg. (laughs) There's a Korean drama uh, called Goblin, which is really, really good. And there's a part where the two main characters go to Canada. And so the girl is like, are we in Canada? But when she says Canada, she says Canada because she's speaking Korean. And so every, when we were in Canada, every time we had to say Canada to Meg. Well, we tried to get Meg to watch it, and she was she was outraged. Not into it. No. Uh, <laughs> so Canada? Just, <laughs> just riffing Mugu? off of her outrage, yeah. we kept saying Canada. <laughs> so, anyway, that's not – we love Korean people. Okay, so. <laughs> K-drama is high culture. It is high culture. So – it's October. It's Canada. Did you not see the picture of me? Right, like whenever they're walking in the set into the police precinct set, there's a picture of Reese up on the wall and it's him next to a Canadian flag. <laughs> like just so you guys know, Reese is Canadian. Uh, if you didn't get that from him liking hockey. So Nick is trying to. Ent- <laughs> I am totally convinced. <laughs> that well, this fuck that seals likes it. Coffee. <laughs> No, hockey, not coffee. <laughs> Who likes coffee? Hockey. Hockey. <laughs> hockey. Hockey. <laughs> Nick's trying to interrogate the brother, and he's like, so your sister was possessed by the devil, and you got her an exorcism, huh? So I'm I, I'm asking you, am I, I feel like when I'm talking to the kids and they won't This respond, guy is doing really, really good at being just playing it straight. Yeah. This feels like when I'm talking to the kids and they don't respond and I'm like, my mouth is moving and it feels like sound is coming out. Can you guys hear me? And they they go, yes. Like, like it's the lamest question ever. Well, you weren't answering me. I didn't know. He's not answering him. And so finally he's like, look, I get it. You're a religious man. Um, you don't want to lie. I don't want to hear you lie either. So just tell me the truth. It's fine. Like, I'm not going to, what, what, what's the worst that could possibly happen? Just tell me the truth. Did she have an exorcism? And finally, he's like, "Mm, yes. I took her to a bunch of doctors. I took her to psychiatrist. I tried everything. She just wasn't getting better. And it's because it wasn't in her mind. She was literally possessed by an evil spirit. It wasn't mental illness. It was spiritual illness. Yeah. And the goodness in her was being consumed by evil. She had a spiritual infection. Yeah, and she needed a spiritual enema. <laughs> Let's get that out. <laughs> Spiritually transmitted disease. I watched I watched Dracula Dead and Loving It the other day, and I totally forgot about the running enema joke. Have you tried an enema? Do you think an enema would solve that? I think we need to bring that back. Just, do you think an enema would solve that? 
a spiritual enema from Dr. Vanderval, who's from everything. He's like such a 90s actor. As soon as you see him, you're like, whoosh. He's in like legit everything. And then I think it's because he had that really stunning voice. Oh, yes. He has a very distinct voice. Yeah. He says he tried to help her with doctors, but it was her soul. It was her soul that was sick. And he talks to Nick and he says, there is a devil detective and he has every bit as real as you or me. And it's so traumatizing, it sends Nick into a flashback. And it's LaCroix chatting with their cellmate, Sancho, who is the the actual good guy. And he's like, okay, so what did you do to get here? And LaCroix's like leaning on the wall in this really awkward position. He has like his hands on his lap, but he's not actually sitting down. He's doing like a wall sit. And he's like, how'd you get here? And he goes, well, I was possessed by very valuable land right near Barcelona. And LaCroix goes, ah, yes, the greatest fault in the eyes of the Inquisitor. (laughs) And then he turns to the guy who's legit chained to the wall. And he's like, what about you? And the guy goes, I am no more a devil than you are. And LaCroix goes, I quite agree. (laughs) LaCroix's just having a great time. Why give glory to a devil other than yourself? By the beast. I am no more a demon than you are. <laughs> I quite agree. <laughs> Why give glory to a devil other than yourself? That a line only LaCroix could Which deliver. is the most LaCroix bullshit I can ever imagine anyone spouting. He's like, you know all that shit that I did? I fucking did it. And I'm not giving anyone else credit. Don't even ask. Did I murder everyone? Don't cheapen my history. I did all of that. That's my legacy. The part where I made an entire arm, where I gave an entire army permission to rape and pillage. That was me. The part where I've murdered like half a million people because I'm 2,000 fucking years old. All me. I get no cop-outs. I own that shit. I did that. That's who I am. And that is so fucking LaCroix, and I fucking love it. <laughs> I love, Don't reduce me to a puppet. I love an evil character that is literally like, you don't understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> and so they come in, and they're like, hey, guys, time for us to take one of you. And so they take the guy who's legit chained to the wall. And this guy starts shouting in Spanish, including, like, Belial. So, obviously, this dude is actually possessed. I think that's what we're supposed to be getting. And we come back to them to present time because the guy's still talking. And he's like, Satan takes hold of people, detective. He, he sends his angels and he promises you power and eternity. And Nick is like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know this is better than most people. And the guy keeps going. He's like, the devil has to be driven out. So if you have the devil in you, it must. You got to get that shit out. It's like an evil pimple. You got to pop it. And so he asks about his sister and he's like, well, is that why? Like, do you think that's why she did what she did? And the brother is like, yeah, she must have killed herself to be free of the demon's influence. 
Um, the devil, our beliefs compel us to work against Satan. So if what she needed to do to end Satan's influence in her life was end her life, then yes, that's what she did. And Nick is like, okay, cool, but you sent her to somebody. Who did you send her to? I just need a name. And he tells him. He's like, Dr. Max Venderwall. Okay. So one of the ideas I wanted to talk about here, in reference to this episode, is the idea of Satan as like an individual who's like the enemy of God and actively works evil and mischief and whatever in humanity yeah is newer than lacroix yeah especially when you start talking about lucifer who is a character in like christian fan fiction yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean so pompeii erupts in 79 a.d Right. Yeah. So he's only, he only. A a lot of the like formalization of Satan. So like Satan, like with a capital S as a pronoun, like a name of a single person, entity, whatever, doesn't get used much until like the second century when they're putting the rest of the Bible together. So Lacroix would have gotten turned into a vampire. And he was probably up to speed on most of the religious drama, yeah. especially with the Roman Empire and the Christians and all that. So as he's being a vampire, fucking his way through Europe, uh, he he's probably learning, like hearing, he's probably hearing the people talk about it. You know, over the years and decades. There's this oh, weird yeah. cult that just won't seem to go away. Yeah. And yeah. now they're talking about Satan as you know, the the general of this army that actively works against God. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is this? This is this, you know somebody's it, making up new stories. You know what it would probably feel like? Mm-hmm. You you're like uh 20-ish, 30-ish maybe, when, you know, like Star Wars has been out for like 30 years, you're born, and there's a whole bunch of people who are super fans of Star Wars, and you're like, okay, that's like cool, Star Wars is, I mean, it's fine, and for a while it's like, well, this isn't really going to catch on, right? And then it sort of disappears, and then you live long enough to see Star Wars come back, And then Star Wars get more and more and more properties associated with it and create a larger and larger following. And And they keep retconning things into the original story. And you literally live long enough that Star Wars has become an actual religion and everybody believes in it. But you remember that it was just this science fiction bullshit that somebody wrote down like a couple thousand years ago. And everyone is acting like it's this big deal. And to you, it's not a big deal because you remember when Star Wars came out or you like you were around right around the time Star Wars came out and it started to get big. And you're like, but fucking what? Right. So so I can see why LaCroix is so dismissive of any all of these claims. Yeah. He's like the devil. Sure. What the fuck ever? Yeah. The devil. Satan. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, like, 
Do you know how many religions I've gone through in the time that I've been alive? (laughs) And then everyone's like trying to get him to be on their side. And he's like, fucking no. Like, I no. He wasn't even, it's not that he wasn't raised religious. This religion did not exist when he was young. Right. So, of course, he's not. That's why the Bible says, all right, God struck me dumb there for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why the Bible says you have to train up a child early. Because if you don't, they'll never believe. And it's literally because you have to indoctrinate a child young in order to believe the ridiculous bullshit that's required to believe in Christianity. So LaCroix did modern mainstream Christianity. Yes, yeah. The hyper, I'm talking... Codified the, the corporate, yeah, corporatized, corporate yeah, dogmatic Christianity. So Lacroix didn't even have that a little bit. He believed there were like a bunch of gods, and they all lived on a mountain, and they could come down and fuck people, and have half gods who would go on adventures. Like that's what he came up in. And then all of a sudden, you're like, no, there's two. There's the god, and there's God, like the God, and then there's the devil, like the devil, like the bad guy. Right, capital S Satan. Yeah, and they rule the world, and you either follow one or you follow the other, and there's no middle ground. And he's like, I I am not receiving that. I reject all of that. It sounds like bullshit. No, thank you. And then he turns. You're uh, just making shit up now. And then, <laughs> then he turns uh, Nick, and Nick won't give up Star Wars. Like, no matter how he tries, he's like, he's like no, I want to be a Jedi. He's like, no, look. I was there when they made Star Wars, and I'm telling you, it's just a story. And Nick is like, it is more than a story. It is my life. I will not give up on my dreams. And LaCroix finally like, fucking fine, whatever, it's fine. In fact, I think it's mostly in this episode where he's like, fucking fine. Like, whatever it takes to, if I have to give a little to get a little, I can give a little. (laughs) (laughs) But they come out of the, uh, they come out of the room. The interrogation room. And Tracy's like, do you think the devil exists? <laughs> do you really believe the devil exists? Well, a lot of people do. Maybe that's all it takes. Well, I gotta admit, you just look around these days, it's not hard to see the signs. Although if the devil did make her do it, I'd like to see anyone try to prosecute him. And Nick, in LaCroix style, does not no. directly he, answer. Reese kind of agrees. He's like, yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, but it's like, no. I can see why people might think that based on what I've seen, like, happening in, like, the world around me. Nick actually says, maybe it's because enough people believe he's real. And that's all it takes. And that's all it takes. And Reese is like, meh, I mean, I do up until somebody tries to say the devil made me do it. And then that's never going to work as a defense. And that's his only response to everyone's like, Tracy fucking what? And right, this is that's where I was really feeling like Tracy's always just she's putting just out like, little. Bloop. She's putting out little emotional sometimes bids, they're little bids. To sometimes they're if, big bids. Yeah, yeah. And Reese goes, you know what? Just go confirm this priest's alibi, and either he doesn't have one, and you can continue this investigation, or he's got one, and you can just write this off as a quote, crazy lady suicide. Okay. So they show up at Vanderwall's and he opens the door and he's like, uh, hi. 
And they're like, oh, hey, sup, we're here to see you. And he's like, mom, just a little bit busy. Right. I like how he's a little bit busy. And then it's like, nah, come in while I finish this exorcism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fine. He's strapped to the table. He ain't going nowhere. Well, actually, Nick walks in. He's trying to tell him, like, no, thank you. And Nick's like, cool, thanks. And he just walks around him and walks in. And he, like, scowls up at a cross, but he doesn't burst into flames and he's not hissing or running away or anything. Well, we've established throughout the seasons that Nick is becoming more and more resistant or less susceptible to religious, um, religiously endowed items. Yeah. Well, he says, so you're a priest. Did you get kicked out? And he's like, actually... I got excommunicated. Um, he said he asks him if he retired. Oh yeah, and he goes, "No, nah. I was forcibly retired, excommunicated because I um, I was a little too devoted to the old ways of the religion." And Nick is like, "Okay, all right, sounds good. I also have old ways of following this religion, probably older than yours." Uh, yeah. And so Tracy's like, okay, well, do you live in Toronto? Like, are you from around here? And he goes, if evil took up permanent residence here, so would I. I would like to note the crispness of the second T when Tracy says Toronto. Oh, maybe she's not from Toronto. Toronto. (laughs) There are no T's. This is canon. (laughs) It is C-H-R-O-N-O, Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick looks over at the door like, there's shit going on behind that door. And then he keeps trying to, he's like inching towards the door through this whole thing. Like, I'm just going to go look at these books over here, which are closer to the door. Oh, would you look at that thing that's closer to the door? (laughs) Which the priest calls him out on. But uh, the priest does admit, Vanderwall admits that Melanie was there. um, But the devil she had in her was very powerful. And he is shocked, but not surprised that it overcame her. And she possibly committed suicide. And Nick is like, well, we're just trying to understand. And he goes, meh, how many suicides? Possibly succumbed to the demon. Yeah. And he's like, meh, how many suicides are ever fully understood anyway? And I just want to point out, when you're listening to this on headphones, the background is extremely obvious. And I don't think I have ever noticed how much background noise is in these old television shows until you listen to them. But in this scene, there is music playing that straight up sounds like there's an elephant in the background. (laughs) Just the ambient sound. I think it's supposed to be distorted screaming, but it's like. (laughs) So so we just re-listened to it. Yeah. And it's like these long, like organ, like church organ chords, like yeah, wham, yeah, wham. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's like every other of these long chords that get held for like I don't know twenty seconds, you hear. <laughs> it sounds like an elephant, and it sounds like an elephant. And once you hear it, you like can't in the hear it. <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> Mr. Molan, Fred, Fred. What, what was going on? What? You know, I think it's supposed to be distorted screaming. Yeah. I think that's what it's supposed to be. And uh, Vanderwall is like, I mean, 
she was troubled. She died. I don't know what to tell you. And Nick's like, oh, I'm not sure if it was a suicide. I mean, like, we're not even sure if it was a suicide. And the priest goes, I'm not sure you ever will. Well, what? No, if it's a suicide? No, what? Will not be sure. I yeah. think I think it's technically grammatically correct. Yeah. It but just, it just <laughs> it plays out weird dialogue wise. Yes, it doesn't feel like realist plausible dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. But the priest does notice that Nick is inching towards this door. He's like, "Oh, you want to know what's through that door?" We can go through that door. So he opens the sus door. You want to see something cool? You want to see? Okay. You want to see what I was busy doing? And there's a guy strapped to the table and he's like, this is me working. (laughs) I'm at work right now. (laughs) And the room is full of crosses. And so Nick is, of course, like, Nick Nick sees somebody strapped to a table and is like, ah, I'm totally familiar. Oh, it's an exorcism. Oh. Oh, I, I was thinking more like kinky I'm, sex thing. And I am not because we have plenty of opportunity to discuss kinky sex in about ooh, 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so the the priest walks in and he goes, who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? Am I talking to Michael? And the guy's like, it's not Michael. <laughs> Michael's not here. Michael's not here right now. Please leave a message after the priest. <laughs> <laughs> elephants. elephants. <laughs> Please leave a message after the elephants. <laughs> Vanderwall starts speaking in Latin and spouting Bible quotes, and Nick's in the corner, like, ah, uh, uh, uh. So all Natalie needed Gare, to do. Garrett is doing a great job. <laughs> Appearing to be very uncomfortable while this guy is exercising a demon. <laughs> All Natalie needed to do to find out whether or not Nick was a vampire was look over during this conversation. Because You mean like, Tracy? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Tracy. Natalie already knows. Oh, but Tracy's, Tracy just needed to look over because Nick is like, ooh, ah, ee, uh, ah, oh. It's but like, Tracy's locked in. It's like the death scene where Paul Rubens is dying in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> This is happening in the background for yeah, so long. He was allowed to ad lib that. That's why it's like that. They were like, no, however you want to fucking do it. Because he gets staked and then he's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best scene, honestly. Yeah. Roger Howard's a vampire. Paul Rubens as a vampire who dies dramatically. And so he ends up commanding the devil out of Michael. And there's enough reverb in Michael's voice when this happens that it like <laughs> he vomits the demon out. It at resonates Nick. <laughs> over the room to Nick, and Nick is like, Whoa! He like throws his head back, and his eyes go green. You are. I'm sure he's fine, though, right? I guess gonna be fine. That can't be. That can't be bad. Because Michael's fine now. Right, he's the just, devil left. He's just reacting to the violent release of energy from the exorcism. There's an episode of Angel where they have this kid, I think, that's possessed with the demon. And so they cast the demon out and they have to get a box to keep the demon because if they cast it out without having another vessel for it to go in, it'll be free and it'll be able to hurt people. 
I was actually thinking about something like that when this happened. Well, the demon like, comes why out. Why didn't the guy have something to trap it or whatever? Well, it breaks the box. And mm. she's and Cordelia is like, shit, because she was supposed to get one made by blind Tibetan monks. And instead she got one that was done by like mute nuns. And she's like, <laughs> it's not the same. Uh, and so they leave. They leave after that. They're like, okay, cool. Thanks for the alibi. Strange man. I mean, he didn't do anything illegal, but everybody was there consensually, so whatever. So they leave, and Tracy's like, oh, it's uh, also... The demon was not there consensually. Well, I guess, but arguably... demons don't have rights. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't have a, an independent physical They have not been proven to exist. That's why they don't have rights. So Tracy's like... I think it's all smoke and mirrors. You know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. And Nick does not get the reference. He goes, what? And she's like, you know, Wizard of Oz. And for once ever, Tracy is not on board with these supernatural shenanigans. She's like, I don't buy it. I buy vampires. I buy every other supernatural thing we've encountered up until now. I buy that you got over amnesia after a week's vacation but I, I buy that you got over a gaping hole in your head. Yeah, a gunshot wound to the head. But demons fucking step too far. And Nick, of course, is possessed at this point because he's driving down the road and he sees a guy in a priest outfit and he swerves around it. And Tracy goes, Nick, are you OK? And he's like, yeah, I thought there was a cat. <laughs> Nothing. I thought there was a cat. Over there. And it also just so happens that there's a robbery at this store right at this moment. And so this guy comes out holding a woman hostage and Nick hypnotizes the guy into letting her go. And he's continuing to hypnotize him and then he's like... Put the gun down. <laughs> his, <laughs> his hypnotized voice changes. So, okay. You can always tell it's going to be good when you crack yourself up before you've even said it. Um, it's more the obscurity of the reference. Oh, thank God. Okay. So, in the Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time isn't obscure anymore, honey. I guess you're right. Yeah. Okay, in the later books in the Wheel of Time. Those are them. So there's the Aes Sedai and yeah. there's the seven um groups, cliques, the seven cliques of the Aes Sedai. <laughs> um and they're all different colors. There's just colors, yeah. Yeah, the Ajas. Yeah. And there's this like mythical evil black Aja. Yeah. And um they they have this there's this thing that they can, the way they use their magic, where they can make it invisible to other people, other yeah. magic users. The weave. Yes, they can invert the weave and make it invisible to other practitioners. And so they're like, how could I, how could there be like black Aja? We have to swear the three oaths um, while holding this ancient artifact and the words that you speak out loud like are magically binding and have to be truthful yeah the oath rod yeah 
I'm okay. I'm, I'm adding context and generalizations yes, for people who are not familiar. And they're like all every single Aes Sedai has gone through this very public ceremony for uh, for swearing their oaths. So how would a a black Aja sister be able to like swear the same three oaths that all of us swear, like basically don't hurt people, don't kill people, don't make weapons, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and oh, and never tell a lie. How would they be able to swear those oaths publicly, but then not be constrained by them later? Yeah. After we find out that you can invert the weave of the a spell and make it invisible to the other practitioners because everybody if you like do magic you can see the the lines of the different like colors of magic whatever yeah uh it, it's all very visible to other people who can do the same magic so the, they think they learn oh you can like invert the weave and then it's only the lines of like magic are only visible to the person doing the magic and they learn, figure out, deduce that during the like public ceremony where they swear their oaths, what the black Aja sisters are doing is they have this spell wrapped around their head and the weaves are inverted. So it's invisible to everybody else, but they speak like the black Aja oaths. And when it goes through the spell, that's the bubble around their head, it comes out as the, the standard. Oaths. Yeah. So they personally are speaking truthful statements that they are bound to later, but everybody else hears the standard three oaths. So that's what I was thinking about when Nick is hypnotizing this guy and telling him to put the gun down and put your hands up, Nick is hearing himself say, put the gun down yeah. and put your hands up. But the what the guy is actually hearing, what the demon is actually saying through Nick is like, put the gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Yeah. And he goes, all right, I'll do it. Yeah. And ends up killing himself so, in front of Tracy and Nick. <laughs> Long explanation of yes, thank you. Semi obscure. Listen, honey, to create a blueberry pie from scratch, one must first create the universe. So Reese says it's not surprising. They go back and they're like, I don't know what happened. This guy just killed himself in front of us. And Reese is like, You don't need counseling. Listen, I'm going to tell you. This guy, uh, he was already violent. He'd had a lot of offenses. He had already tried to end his own life twice. And I mean. Third time lucky? That's what he says. He goes, third time lucky? Thank I you, Reese. I think Reese needs some, like, sensitivity mental health training. Yeah. I, I don't know. They need it. It's the 90s. That doesn't exist. <laughs> the, the, uh, they it, don't have that. It does exist. Yeah. But only in a performative way for sexual harassment. Yeah. He goes, all anyone cares about is that you saved that woman. Didn't we have a whole episode where we talked about how excess violence was not great? I'm pretty sure we had an episode about that. But it's cool. They saved that woman. That's all that matters. 
And Natalie, oh my God, why am I getting everybody's name wrong? It must be because there's a demon. Because <laughs> Tracy goes, first of all, Reese is sick. Half the precinct is sick. And Tracy's like, oh, have you guys not found that weird smell in the building? <laughs> and Reese is like, no, we she's, think there's a sewer link somewhere. She's sensitive to the demonic energies. Apparently. Because of her inner conflict. <laughs> well, the demon didn't pick her, did it? And so Nick no, goes no. to the desk and he like he starts shaking and he grabs his desk and Tracy comes over and she's like, Nick, Nick, are you okay? And then a guy gets electrocuted on a ladder right next to him. <laughs> My first reaction to that was, oh, they reused that gimmick. Yeah, from, from faithful followers. Yeah. Faithful followers. So Nick goes home. He's like, you know what? Shit's weird. I think I'm just going to go back to my house. <laughs> the vibes are off. <laughs> the vibes are not immaculate. I'm going back to my house. So Nick goes home and he like faint walks over to the fridge to chug some blood. And then uh, Matt was like, uh oh, the camera is angled. <laughs> the camera <laughs> so you know shit's about to go down. And he's drinking his blood. And then he's like, oh no. And he runs over to the sink and the sink starts backing up. And then he like looks up. And his eyes start to glow like a it's weird It's a pretty big green. deal if you're on like the sixth floor of a warehouse building and your drain is backing up. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. And then he drops his bottle of blood and it splashes all over the floor. And then he walks over and all of the piano wires in his piano are broken. And then somebody like screams and throws a bottle at him. And he ends up like running at the camera. And then we get launched into the flashback all at the same time. And this is where we see the motorcycle is back. When he runs, when he flees the yeah. apartment. Um, this is the part where he just runs at the camera. And we like whoosh into a flashback. And he gave me, there was that one episode that just had stellar transitions. Like every time we transitioned to the flashback. The one that was directed by Gare. Was that the one that was directed by Gare? I but so. every time we went into a flashback, it was like, shit, that was a great transition. Because <laughs> I said that it must have been like a filming intern. And like, yeah. Play around with it. Yeah. Can we just, just have him look off to the left? do things that we've no, never no. seen before. Let's do some cool shit. Well, that yeah. f this felt like cool shit. And it's LaCroix grilling the other cellmate about God. I think his name is Sancho. Yes. The remaining yeah. guy is Sancho. Yeah. The Spanish, Spanish guy. And the guy's like, I don't know. It's not for me to question God. And LaCroix goes, of course you can't ask because then you might actually get an answer. It is not for me to question of course not, because once the question is asked, it must be answered. Yeah, once the question is asked, then the answer will come. So the guy gets a little pissed off. He's like, well, you serve the devil. And LaCroix goes, I serve no one. And so Sancho fires back, then you are without purpose. And LaCroix's like, that may be, but at least I don't lie to myself. It's like I don't I don't subscribe to hustle culture. Mm -hmm. I would say LaCroix deludes himself, deceives himself, lies to himself. Yeah. About one thing that Nick will eventually be his I was friend. Say about his chances of getting with Nick, because that's about the one thing that he's like, I'm pretty sure if I keep banging yeah. my head against this wall, <laughs> I will eventually it will eventually develop a hole. It's I a, can do this. It's a classic you're too close to the problem. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. Well, Nick steps away from LaCroix and goes to stand next to Sancho. And Sancho, like, flinches away. And Nick goes, you you don't have anything to fear from me. 
And Sancho's like, oh, yeah, the guy who can't walk in the sun, can't go near the crosses, and is repelled by lamb's blood? (laughs) Yeah, I'm real safe with you. You have nothing to fear from me. You, who cannot walk in the daylight, the lamb's blood and crosses repel you. Tell me you are not an angel of the devil. Yes, Nicholas. Do tell. Nick says, he's like, what manner of devil are you or whatever? And LaCroix goes, oh, yeah, I want to hear this explanation. Do tell, Nicholas. I'm I'm just imagining Nick's response as something like, God, it's not my fault I have allergies. (laughs) Sunlight, religiously charged (laughs) objects, garlic, and commitment. We know this. It is canon, okay? (laughs) I have a hat and everything. This is garlic and commitment on it. I'm allergic. It's not my fault. <laughs> Thank you, Meg. So that was our Patreon gift. Our Patreon, our first and most devoted of all patrons, um, who now has a podcast called Gary Can Get It that you can listen to, sent me a hat that says garlic and commitment on it. From the episode, we were like, garlic and commitment. These are his known allergies. So the the Inquisitors show up, and they're like, come on, Sancho, it's time to go murderize you. <laughs> and Sancho's like, no, I am a devoted Christian. But and they're Gare like, has fallen in love with this man. He has. I mean, he's like- I mean, like, Nick. Nick has fallen in love with this man. Yes, thank you. Don't. We know that they're two separate people. <laughs> we just make jokes about it. Are they, though? <laughs> not in this episode, they're not. So Nick- Well, in, in about five minutes, yeah. Gare will be unleashed. But Nick is like, I'm the devil. And I tried to get this guy to join me. And he refused to join me. And LaCroix watches Nick. His faith. No, 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 no. The best part of this scene is LaCroix watches Nick vamp out. And then he goes, really, Nick? Such (laughs) crass showmanship. (laughs) Like... Well, Nick, how, how passe. Nick t- is telling the Inquisitors that the guy's faith stopped yeah. him from joining the, them. Yeah, the so you should probably let him go. And they're like, hell yeah, we got some better <laughs> devils like, right here. They immediately say, like, okay, you can go. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye. You go. And so they pour oil on the floor and light it on <laughs> they fire. They have a bucket outside the door. <laughs> they're like, get fire and get fire and oil. And they're like, cool, I got it right here. So they just pour oil on the floor, light it on fire. And it's so traumatizing, it sends Nick back to the present. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the flashback. And this is when he flees and the motorcycle is over by the door, which we haven't seen the motorcycle in like a season and a half. So welcome back, motorcycle. And he goes directly to the raven. <laughs> Like this is this is the best possible. You know what? I think he's going there for help. I oh, think yes. he's going there to find Laqua to get help. But he goes in and then he freaks out a little and we do this top down thing where he like tips his head back and vamps out, which is pretty cool. And then this lady walks up to him. She's totally into Nick. Well, she goes, "You look like you could use a drink. Care to join me?" And Nick is like, "Help!" and <laughs> just attacks her face <laughs> sensually. Attacks her face sensually, of course. He attacks her face sensually. (laughs) Sexually, what I'd say. But she's digging it. And she goes, is that a yes? And I don't even think he answers. It's just like. He just growls Well, hell yeah, it is. So they go to this back room, which I'm pretty sure is explicitly there for making out. 
slash sex in. Right. There's comfy places to lay. Uh, yeah. There's literally a bed, right? Yeah. No, I think there's couches. Okay. It's the sex lounge. There's multiple options. <laughs> and he is... I bet there's even anchor points in the wall he's for kinky sex. He's 120% committed to making out with this woman. There is um, tits to face. There is... <laughs> he's just... He licks mouthing, her. He's just mouthing her, her chin. Oh, my God. Like uh, her whole chin all the way up to her cheeks. This is another scene I do not recommend listening to with really good headphones. Because he goes at it so fucking hard. There is so much slurping sounds. At one point, he literally makes like a like a suction pop sound with his mouth. Like he was... No, like a... You know, when you open mouth, like... Like suction pop on somebody? Yeah, he we do... Because he's probably breathing in while trying to eat her chest. I don't know what is happening. A lot is happening. There is licking. There is slurping. It is... You know, actually, this scene, I know this scene, even though I haven't watched this episode very often, because this scene shows up in Kristen's videos a lot. Oh. Yeah. I mean, for good reason. And this poor lady is just rent a Jeanette, honestly. Yeah. If this were Jeanette, oh my God. Can you fucking imagine if we got this scene with Jeanette? (sighs) If he got to show up at the Raven, possessed, and he was like pretty sure we should bang she'd be like hell fucking yes i had a room built specifically for that yeah or as you pointed out it's entirely possible that lacroix hires attractive women specifically with the purpose of eventually seducing nick oh yeah so here's what i told rachel (laughs) there's a subset of employees of the raven that upon being hired are told, okay, this man, see this man in this picture here? He comes here every once in a while. Whoever gets him to go in the back room with you while making out whatever yep. gets a bonus. Gets a fucking bonus. If he bangs yep. you. E- extra bonus, bonus for every piece of clothing removed. <laughs> Plus double the bonus if he bites you. I like to think that this arrangement also applies to beefcake booty short. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Literally. A beefcake booty short was, was the first. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's La- the team lead. LaCroix shows up. Seduc- seduce Nicholas. <laughs> the seduced team seduce Nicholas. Yes. Well, LaCroix shows up. He is there are on the couch. Nick is hard at this. He's going hard at this. And so he's like <laughs> choking this woman. I mean, a lot is happening. And Nick like is making out. And then LaCroix f- pops up in the background because LaCroix likes to watch. And I will die on this hill because in his little mental mind power link with Nick, he was like, oh, shit, Nick's about to get it on. And he was like, Ooh, I'm what? not missing this. <laughs> I'll be over. And so he runs over and he's like, what a pleasant surprise to see you like this. Um, Nick does go a little hard and the woman ends up getting scared and running off. And LaCroix is like, my boy, you well, have I, finally come to your senses. I think she's 
not so much scared as now that LaCroix is there, that's the end of bonus territory. Well, he also that, but he oh, was I, like choking maybe there, her. Maybe he was a, being really aggressive. Maybe there's another, another bonus multiplier if Nick stays in it while LaCroix watches. <laughs> Entirely possible. But I love LaCroix's reaction to this. He's like, first of all, bravo, good choice. Second of all, maybe next time we just be a little more discreet because Nick goes, you have to help me, LaCroix. I need help. And LaCroix's like, meh. It looked like you were doing fine. I don't have any real notes. And I have watched you do this like a bunch. So I'm pretty sure you were right on track. But maybe next time we just, you know, maybe we don't make out and vamp out in the main room. And then we just wait till we come back here, you know? And thank you for choosing another vampire. Excellent decision. Uh, so I don't have to worry about cleanup. Yeah. And Nick is like, no, you don't understand. I was at an exorcism, and this is the part I fucking love. It is a throwaway moment, except it's not. Because he goes, I was at an, I was at an exorcism. It wasn't mine. <laughs> I did love that line. Like, I was at LaCroix. I was at an exorcism. It wasn't mine. Which <laughs> <laughs> And something happened. Which means Nick has the presence of mind, the self-awareness to realize that LaCroix is going to immediately assume <laughs> that this yes. exorcism was for him. I mean, he already kind of attended an exorcism this season in Blackwing when she took his evil... Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I fucking love that he's like, I was at an exorcism. It wasn't mine, but something happened. And I think the demon went into me. And LaCroix is like, fucking what, Nick? Jesus. Jesus H. Christ. Who I don't believe in, by the way, because I very nearly predate him. I'm just um, fluent in English and its idioms. There is absolutely no way that that is true. I don't, why are you even, why are you harshing my mellow right now? Dude, I thought we were about to get it on. I have not watched you had sex and I can't even tell you how long. And I was so excited. And now this is where we're at. This is terrible. I am absolutely losing my heart on right now. <laughs> and Nick is like, you don't understand. You have to take me to the exorcist. I need your help. And LaCroix is like, I'm not taking you fucking anywhere. Look me in the eye, Nick. I'm not taking you fucking anywhere. And then transition to the exorcist. Wait. Then Nick tries to choke LaCroix for a minute. He's like, You will take me. And, he likes to, and then he pauses and he's like, Can you please help me? And LaCroix can't say no to that face. He makes the face. He's like, Please, please, LaCroix, can you take me to the exorcist? And LaCroix's like, Oh, fucking fine. Please help me, LaCroix. Please. So, so my first thought was, is there a vampire exorcist? Like, No. Is, is there another exorcist that's like aware of the vampire world that LaCroix would know about? But no, they just mean Vanderwall. Vanderwall, yep. So since... Nick made the compelling argument of um, 
sad eyes. Laquaz <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, fucking fine. So he takes him to Vanderwall's. And Vanderwall's like, oh, okay, yeah. Secondary infection. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> it must have had some, he must have had an open wound. <laughs> that's how that, that's how the bacteria, the evil bacteria usually spreads. He must have some inner turmoil that opened the door. And Laquaz like, I don't, I don't fucking care. Can you just do whatever you need to do to get this done? <laughs> and he goes, you don't believe me, do you? And Laquaz literally is like, I actually don't give even a small amount of shit, but I am here for Nicholas. And so he looks over at Laquaz and Nicholas. And Nick does this like. <sighs> <laughs> so this is the start of the really uncomfortable it's scene. It's so long. It's like. <laughs> And then he goes, are you Nicholas? And Nick goes, yes. (laughs) He's real, real convincing. And Vanderwall goes, why don't I believe you? (laughs) Well, I could think of a couple reasons. (laughs) And this is when we start using the flashback and the present time, like, real fast. Like, flip, 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 flip. Because we go back to the flashback and they're being driven back by the fire and then all of a sudden we're back in the present and nick is all i'm evil i'm the son of bilial i'm the son of bilial <laughs> <laughs> and, and vanderwell's like oh shit the evil in him is very powerful i need you to help and he looks back at laquan laquan's like hard pass <laughs> <laughs> and he goes well you came here like you're here are you Wait a minute. Are you the one responsible for his turmoil? I love this line. Laquan like, is 100% responsible for Nick's turmoil. Matt goes, actually, we're watching it. Matt goes, he is 1,000% responsible for, Matt's, for Nick's turmoil. 1,000%. Every drop of turmoil has Laquan's like, signature on it. He is the ultimate troll. He has been trolling Nick. He has been trolling Nick for 800 years. Every piece of turmoil is his. And Laquaz like, can you just fucking help him? Like, don't look at me like that. Jesus, okay? Everybody needs a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy's like, I need your help. I can't do this alone. And Laquaz looks over at the cross and he does this like, I can't. Like, I would love to help you. I am physically, like that small amount of weakness. You know how much that must rankle? Okay, to continue our Star Wars analogy from beforehand, when he became a vampire, the cross was not a prevalent symbol, which means at a certain point in his life, they started showing up and they just hurt for no fucking reason. <laughs> right? <laughs> it would literally be like all be of like, a sudden- You were there when Star Wars, the story came out. Yeah. And then- And then you see a rebel symbol uh, like, some, one day and it fucking burns you and you're like, shit, <laughs> What? The what? That is not what? And then all of a sudden people are wearing it on chains around their neck and getting tattoos of it and shit. And you're like, oh my God, it's everywhere and it hurts and I don't know why. And you can tell he is like, he doesn't like it. Oh yeah, it it gets under his skin. Yeah. He's like, I I can't. And then <laughs> Vanderwall's like, oh, come on. Just help him. You can do it. And this is when Gare vamps out. I'm sorry. Nick vamps out. Nick is like, ah. He goes, 
Uh, Nick is already lost, is what he says. He's like, we're losing him. And Nick is like, I am already lost. Look at my teeth. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, I belong to Belial now. Or, you know, Nick belongs to me. But I'm his I'm his boss now. And LaCroix like, oh, hell no. Oh, fucking no. I have not put in the work for you to show up 24 hours ago and feel like you already own this dude when I have been working for 800 years to get him on my side. There is absolutely no way I am letting him have it. And so he gets extremely triggered. He like leans forward and he's like, no, he is mine. He is my creation. I fucking own him. And Vanderwall's like, okay, cool. So you're like both like this? And Laquaz's like, yes. <laughs> yes, we're both like this. And Vanderwall goes, well, of course you don't want him to believe. Then you'd have to admit that the devil is real. And Laquaz's like, I don't fucking care if the devil is real. <laughs> and he actually gets two crosses and he's going to, he puts one at Nick's feet and then he's walking around to put one by Nick's head. And Laquaz like, <laughs> ducks really fast out of the way of the cross and Vanderwall goes, oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he leans over Nick. Vanderwall just plays it chill. He's like, all right, I'm going to roll with this. He's uh, a professional. He's profesh. Okay. And then until he leans forward and Nick just breaks his chains and starts choking with him and LaCroix is like, drop it. Drop it. <laughs> no. Bad boy. Bad put boy. it down. Bad boy, drop and then he starts laughing. Nick lets him go, but then he's laughing and he's like, you have no power over me. Well, you let him go. So kind of think you do. And then we get like, uh oh, Natalie's about to be involved because Natalie shows up at Nick's house and she's like, Nick, are you And she here? sees the mess. Matt was like, oh, when his the, wife's when the glass, When the glass bottles were flying around, I was like, oh, no, what will the wife say? <laughs> well, <laughs> and Natalie. then Natalie showed up and I was like, oh. Look what the wife's going to say. Well, Natalie at least is worried. She's like, oh, yeah. no, this is out of character. And we go back to the exorcism, which is still going on. It's like 45 minutes of a 48-minute episode. <laughs> Stupid. That and making out. That's this whole episode. But Vanderwall asks, like, why this one? Why did you choose Nick? And so Belial, I guess. His, the Nick's, son of Belial. Nick's literal inner demon is like, uh, de Brabant has had... Has been so many people, and all of them murderers. They're all inside here, held back by his conscience. He's got real potential, and I'm gonna develop it. Like we're gonna, we're gonna do. It's got the boss. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm gonna got the boss. This dude, and we're we're gonna take over the world together. And then Natalie has called Tracy. Meanwhile. Everything's happening really fast, which is nice because it keeps the pace moving really fast and it makes this end feel really frantic. So we're really hopping and they must not have had enough flashback to do all of the hops. And that's why we get Natalie because Tracy calls Natalie and Tracy's like, I don't know where he is. Maybe he stopped at the drugstore on the way home. He wasn't looking great. He looked really pale. Or as Reese says, I've never seen anyone look that pale. And Natalie is like, yeah, maybe he stopped at the drugstore. Knowing full fucking well, Nick has never been in a drugstore in his life. Uh, except to buy flowers. Oh, and with affection cards. With affection. Yeah. yeah. And Tracy's like, uh, well, you know, we had a really complicated day, but it's a lot to talk about on the phone, so I don't think I'm going to get into it. And Natalie goes, uh, give me the highlights of what happened. 
And then we go back to the main. <laughs> she says, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Story. Let me summarize that for you. <laughs> so we go back to the exorcism because Manderwell is actually going to start. He's done with the interrogation portion of the exorcism and we're on to the actual exorcism. And we this is when we do the fisheye lens on Gare's face. And he's like screaming at the camera. And we go immediately back into a flashback of LaCroix and Nick. And they end up hot, like holding on to each other and hopping over the fire. And then... Because, of course, they've gotten backed into the corner with the oil and fire. And then we come back and Belial's like, I have revived the vampire's taste for death. I will be with him forever. We are going to do great things together. And then we go back to the flashback because we're flip, flip, flip really fast here. And um, this, I really like this scene. I'm going to summarize the flashback so we don't have to keep going back and forth. But what happens right up until the, like, dramatic conclusion, which kind of gives us our, this is how love, love conquers all. That's how Nick was able to defeat the, defeat the, the demon. But the thing I like about this flashback, this moment right here, is they end up jumping over the fire, but there's still, like, a fire on one side, priest with cross on the other side. The sun is still up because it's been day for 28 hours. A lot has happened. And they're, like, hunched down together, and Nick reaches out and takes LaCroix's hand. An intimate moment. Did you notice that? I did not. And it's a very, like, I think we could actually be friends if you would quit being such an asshole. They are the only people on this raft traveling through eternity together. And it sucks. It's like in, I just read War of the Worlds, and there's a scene where he's with, there's a whole section where the narrator is with this guy named the curate. And he says, it's just unfortunate because our personalities were extremely incompatible. So they're stuck together. They work together. They do stuff together. But they're just not close enough in temperament to be able to be friends. But I think LaCroix and Nick could be friends. They're just stuck on LaCroix can't meet anyone in the middle. He flat out fucking right. refuses. And Nick doesn't know how to get to LaCroix without becoming the type of person that he doesn't want to be. And yet when they're in this moment where they're about to die, Nick reaches out and takes LaCroix's hand. It was just a really sweet moment. And I always like this moment. That's why I like this flashback, even though this whole section is difficult to take. <laughs> <laughs> and LaCroix is actually holding Nick down at this point in the present time and he's like fight Nicholas and the demon looks up at LaCroix and he's like uh you're one of us LaCroix you're a demon just like us and La LaCroix's not receiving this you can't insult LaCroix by being like you're evil he's like fucking noted thanks already knew that is that news? Oh, I'm that, sorry. That's an understatement. Yeah. You don't know that fucking half of it. <laughs> but he yells at Nick. He goes, and this must hurt him on like a, a soul level. Because he goes, there is good in you, Nicholas. Yes. <laughs> this is how desperate LaCroix is. There is God in you. Use it. You're one of us. Do you know what that cost him to be like, 
Oh, you are actually a really good guy. Mm. He must have thrown up a little in his mouth. There is good in you, Nick. Use it. And then we come back and Vanderwall is like, okay, well, I cast thee out. I'm done. Like, LaCroix's got you pinned. I've said all the Latin. I've sprayed you with whatever. I cast thee out right at the moment that Natalie arrives. Because Natalie's like, oh, you went to Vanderwall's? Cool, I'm going to go right over there. So she comes over and Nick launches out of bed and like grabs her and there's a lot of hissing and growling and like is he gonna bite her is he not going to bite her because he is at war with himself and he ends up throwing himself away from her and then he sits up with a normal face like this is just like the duncan idaho scene Bring back children, children of Doom. Okay, where he's he's been triggered with his. He's the Duncan Gola, Duncan Idaho zombie. Yeah, that doesn't have access to original Duncan's memories, and the compulsion to kill Paul, and then he's in the act of stabbing Paul in the back, and original Duncan comes back. Yeah. Now, was it the love of Natalie or the love of LaCroix that brought Nick back? Oh, Natalie. Because LaCroix was like in his face (laughs) and he was thrashing. But then as soon as he gets face to face with Natalie, he throws himself away and regains control. But would he have been able to do it if LaCroix had not admitted that there was good in Nick? Probably not. He needed he did both sides. Yeah. He needed all of his found family slash he, made family he slash knows won't fucking let you go. How family. much of a Travis tragedy? Uh sacrifice. Yes. He's aware of how bad things must be if LaCroix is willing to call out to the good in him. So that's the thing he's running away from. And then there's Natalie. Yeah. Which he's ostensibly pursuing yeah in love with um and so he he has he has a thing he's running away from he has a thing he's running towards and having both of those things is like double motivation yeah yeah and he just barely makes it out i do feel for natalie's oh my god nick what happened because she walked in he ran over grabbed her face Almost bit her. And she's like, oh, God, no, Nick. Don't do it. And then he flops back on the table, sits up, and she's like, oh, my God, Nick, are you okay? Girl, he just grabbed your face. Take a minute. Make sure he's not going to do that again. Don't run over there. Those fangs can come back out real quick. Yeah. Well, Vanderwall goes, for the devil to be driven out, you had to have believed that God had not abandoned you. Okay, I'm pretty sure God specifically told him he abandoned him in the near-death episode. (laughs) He was like, see your soul right there, the one infested with maggots? Yeah, that's all on you. Do you really think that you can do enough good to make up for all the evil you've done? I don't fucking think so. So we had a whole episode where they were like, yeah, damned. So you might as well stay alive because... And your soul is damned. Yeah. Oh, but... There's 
it got better. <laughs> it got a little bit better. <laughs> there's a chance. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. And Vanderwall tries to have a heart to heart with Lacroix. He's like, that was a really sweet thing you said to your friend. And Lacroix's like, Lacroix literally looks at him, bum, bum, this never happened. And then he leaves. <laughs> But we get the conclusion of the flashback, which the conclusion of the flash. So LaCroix saying there is good in you, him being able to not kill Natalie, and then the conclusion of the flashback are sort of the three things that all kind of culminate into him being able to beat the devil, beat the devil out of himself. So he goes back to the flat, the flashback, and it's right on the moment when they're about to die. They're about to be burned to death. And... Something happens. Somebody comes up behind the priest and knocks them out. And so they actually, Sancho, the guy that they got out earlier, came back and rescued them, even though he knew they were not human. Mm -hmm. And Sancho was like, I don't know what you are, but you did a good thing by getting me out. So you have to be good. And Lacroix is like, that doesn't make any fucking sense, and it's wildly inaccurate. And the only reason I'm not killing you is because I'm tired and I want to go to bed. <laughs> so it was Lacroix's acceptance. So we go back. We're done. We wrap all that up. We get our happy conclusion to the flashback where it's like Nick realized that there are people out there who could know what he was and not see him as the devil. And that he could resist killing Natalie and that Lacroix does know that he is fundamentally a good guy. He just can't admit it because he would have to admit that that means good and evil exists and that he is on one end of those spectrums and it's not the one that Nick is on. So Nick and Natalie are back at his apartment because Nick took the day off and so she stops in on her way to work. And she's like, do you want me to stay? Like, we could watch popcorn. I could put on my shirt. We could do some season one things. And he's like, no, I don't. I want you to go. And she goes, you know, you beat the devil. That's not bad for a day's work. <laughs> and he or, says. Hold on, hold on. Did he beat the devil or did she beat the devil out of it? <laughs> That's what it we That's just what had, Bob said. I, it's too soon. It's too soon after night in question. Okay. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I, I was just going for a Bob Ross quote. Or as I said, don't be glum, chum. <laughs> <laughs> Have some gum. <laughs> One of my better lines. All right, so join the Patreon. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about because you'll get to be in the Discord and you'll get to chat with me and know just how unhinged I actually am. So Nick says, you can't imagine what it's like. You can't imagine what it's like to be actually possessed by the devil. Natalie goes, maybe not, but we all have our demons. And this is another feeling like consistency thing that we have with Natalie that is always consistent, which is Natalie has absolutely no idea about the proportion between her feelings and other people's feelings. Right. Like when Tracy was like, I have an uncle who's going to die imminently because of heart disease. And Tracy goes, I know what you mean. I have elective surgery on my knee that I haven't done for about a year, but I think I'm going to get it done soon. These two things are equal. These two things are not equal. But in <laughs> Natalie's mind, these two things are equal. So Natalie is, Natalie's like, I know you were possessed by an actual demon. You almost had sex with another vampire woman. You almost killed a priest. You almost killed me. But hey, 
We all, all lives are equal. All lives matter. <laughs> and Nick is like, uh, fucking no. You have no idea what I'm talking about. And he vamps out. He doesn't actually get fangs. He just changes his eyes. And he turns back to her and she's like, ah, flashback. She goes, don't do that. Like, don't do that to me. And uh, he admits that his thirst is back. Right. He's, he's like, testing his hunger. He's testing himself. He's like, I think what happened set us back. I think it set us back Well, he lot. said, first he says, it set me back. And then he says, it set us, us back, which is a pretty loaded statement to make Yeah. to the woman you just maybe. Maybe banged. Maybe banged. Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? And he goes, I haven't felt thirst like this in a long time. I'm, I'm a thirsted boy. No. What's a bang without a fang? <laughs> Can you have a bang with fangs? These are all questions. If you're a vampire, it's it's necessary. According to the Garrett Wynn Davies Playgirl interview. Yes. And then LaCroix. And vampire mythology. LaCroix, in order to cleanse himself from this feeling of altruism, quotes scripture or he may quote paradise lost but it's about the sons of belial or whatever and then he's like paradise lost and then that's the end of the episode nick got possessed he got lacroix to help him lacroix had to make compromises he wasn't comfortable making and then nick got better and now he might actually be, we're not going to talk about it anymore, so it doesn't really matter. Like, we're never, ever, ever going to mention that he somehow got worse because he got possessed by a demon. I hope you all enjoyed that because it's going to disappear into the wings now. Uh, I wish we had. I mean, that would have been. Uh, I feel like. So I think Meg and I talked about this on the Vamping Out with Meg episode. But when you say you're a vampire fan, there's this connotation that generally pops up, which is. I like weird things and kinky sex and I'm a goth and there's this like vampire fan and you could just slot all of these preconceptions into it and some of them are right some of them are not right um I feel like there's several camps of vampire fans it's not a blanket statement there's people who like horror vampires like I'm never gonna watch 30 days of night I'm just not interested in it I like vampires a lot I hate horror vampires I also will read romance novel vampires only because it's the only thing that is not horror vampires that's available to read. But there's this middle ground of vampirism as metaphor for difference. For being othered. For being othered. And that is like the fucking sweet spot. But in order to do that, you can have no cheating. So... Forever Night kind of walks the line in that Nick drinks cow blood. It's okay. I, I Nick, but they, I think it kind of consistently conveys that yes, Nick is drinking cow blood, but there are downsides to that. He's right. there's, there's something fundamental to, to vampire nature that is not getting satisfied. By the cow blood. Right. It's just, it's like you can't eat any like tasty food. 
you can only eat like this gray slop. Yeah. That has, yes, it has all the calories and nutrients and, you know, protein and all the, it covers your macros. Yeah. But, but it's not actual food. There's a whole other dimension of like taste and like consumption of food and drink that is like a huge component to human experience. Yeah. And if all you could eat was gruel for every meal every day, there's a whole like chunk of your potential lived experience that you're missing out yeah. on. Yeah. And we don't do it a lot, but every once in a while we hit on, yeah, Nick is like the vampire equivalent of like asceticism. Like yeah. I, he's, he's a stoic. He's depriving himself of this positive experience. He's, he's he depriving himself he of how have... vampires feel life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is no other vampire property has ever really touched on that in the way that Forever Night does, which is, I think, why it has the lasting power it does for people who like that sweet spot of vampire mythology. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get Vampire Diaries, but the first little part of Vampire Diaries is kind of like that. But after a while, everybody's a vampire or a witch or a werewolf or a whatever. And you're like, okay, if everybody's special, nobody is. Well, now mm -hmm. I've completely lost my interest in this. And it brings me back to that textbook or that book that that lady wrote about the inherent queerness of, of horror and how I really want to get that textbook and or that book. I think it's a textbook, but it's like a book, textbook, whatever, um, and read it because... Yes, the idea of otheredness, the idea of the thing that you are is perceived as evil by other people, but you do not perceive yourself as evil, is an inherently queer narrative, especially in the world that we live in right now, where people who are different are seen as morally bankrupt in some way. Right. As opposed to just, I have a different lifestyle from you, I'm not requiring you to live my lifestyle. I. It has nothing to do with you. It is about me living my authentic life. And yet what happens when your authentic life is something you cannot live openly mm -hmm. because of the constraints of society or because being an authentic person means you straight up murder people. Like, and that's like not feeling you like be. I have to take off of off my I am Knuff hoodie before I go get my oil changed. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And. That is the story I like to hear about. That is what I that is what I am here for with vampirism is like vampirism as metaphor for being othered. Because and I think that that is a place that we could mine a lot of good stories from right, right that's, now. That's uh, like mythological, like archetypal level narrative. Right. And I think it's a place that it's needed right now. Because there are a lot of people who do feel othered, who do feel like they have to hide who they are. And how can, if you can't explore that explicitly, then you need to explore that metaphorically or implicitly. Right. You need to have these stories about 
monsters who are not monsters, who are only monsters because of what society perceives them as being. And I just finished reading Frankenstein, and maybe that's why I'm like waxing metaphorical about it. And I'm still figuring out how I feel about Frankenstein. Like I know what we're supposed to get from it is that Frankenstein's the bad guy and that the monster was only a bad guy because Frankenstein never took responsibility for his actions. Sort of. But at the same time, I'm like, I need just time with this because it's so sad and everybody's sad and nobody's good. And it's just like, I don't know what I was supposed to learn. And I think that's why even with all of its flaws, I really like Forever Night because it does try to be clear for the most part about who the good guys and the bad guys are. Mm -hmm. So yes, Nick is othered. Yes, Nick is not able to be himself because of societal restraints, but Nick is trying to be a good guy. And we know for sure he is trying to be a good guy. And sometimes he throws people off of walkways (laughs) and sometimes he kills people not with his teeth. But ultimately, he is trying to be good. It's always a reactionary right. death. He's never like, I'm setting out to kill somebody today because today feels like a good day to kill somebody. Right. And the push and pull between wanting to be himself, I think it's like the metaphor for wanting to be human is like he wants to be able to be himself with people. Because mm-hmm. right now, he can't be himself. He has to be who people want him to be because it's part of how you survive as a vampire when you want to be a part of the human world. And he's not willing to give up the human world, which means the only way to be authentically himself and still be a hu- in the human world is to be human. Mm-hmm. And so I think ultimately what Nick is striving for is authenticity in his life. And I think that's a theme that resonates strongly and timelessly no matter how timely the show itself feels. And I wish somebody would pick up on that and give us another show like this. Why has there only... Why? I This is what I don't understand. Why are there not stories in this niche? Why? Where are they? They're either... I'm a 500-year-old dude, and I'm fucking this 18-year-old woman that I, or this girl, this 18-year-old girl that I am inexplicably drawn to, and she's, like, really mature, so it's totally fucking okay. Or there's horror vampires like Salem's Lot, or there's I am literature vampires. They're like, I am literature. I am so literature (laughs) that I'm not even really a vampire. I'm just holy metaphor. And it's like, no, I want something right in between literature and romance, where it's like real people doing real stuff, living in the real world, while having to deal with this one thing that makes them different. If you have a book that's like that, tell me about it and I will read it. Okay? I will fucking read that tomorrow. Matt knows. Every once in a while, I'll just be sitting on the couch looking through TV shows and movies, and he's like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I'm looking for a good vampire movie, or I'm looking for a good vampire TV show. And do you know how often I find them? Fucking never! And yet, here I am. I know you're just looking at me like, thank you for that rant, and I just want to say thank you for sitting there and letting me get all that out. 
You're welcome. I needed to get that out. It's just a consistent complaint of me and lots of the people that I know where it's like, this is what we want. And no one is giving it to us. No one is writing this. And I don't know why. Because it's a good story. This is a good story. Forever Night is a good story. Why did we only tell it once? Moonlight does not count. <laughs> I think that's a question we all need to ask. And if we knew the answer, maybe we'd know a lot more about life. Yeah. I guess we'll just leave it there. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Please do grace. I am innocent. In the name of God, help me. Such crash showmanship.